Hey, Summer. <laughs> That's it? That's what you came up with? All that pressure? <laughs> Hi, Isaac. How you doing? I'm good. This is horrible. I mean, the idea of asking someone how they're doing and them saying, like, I'm good is such the opposite of what we're trying to do here. That's absolutely Like, I'm true. actually pretty tired and my stomach feels kind of weird. And I've been lately trying really hard to make bad decisions and no one will, like, help me. Like, I, I can't find, like... Why haven't you talked to me, buddy? <laughs> My name is Summer Ann Burton. And my name is Isaac Fitzgerald. And this is The Tell Show. It's a new podcast from BuzzFeed where we're going to talk about feelings and tell stories about ourselves. With this idea that it's really fun to get to know somebody through their stories that sometimes are embarrassing, sometimes are a little too much. So on the first episode of The Tell Show, uh, we have an amazing guest, Cheryl Strayed. And we're going to talk about stealing. Hell yeah. Um, we're so excited to have her this show. And we're so excited to be launching the show with such an awesome, incredible storyteller. Yeah. And someone who I think really gets this theme of like how talking about yourself can help other people feel less burdened by their experiences. Yeah. Reading some of Cheryl's work has definitely made me feel a lot less alone in the world. Uh, do you have any good stories about stealing? Why would you assume I do? <laughs> I just feel like you probably do. I feel like you're making a judgment. I'm going to tell a story. <laughs> I bet right? you are. Now, I bet you are. When I lived in Boston, my parents had this truck that they drove us all over Massachusetts in. How old are you? Oh, I'm man. I'm like three, uh, okay. six. All right. <laughs> I'm bouncing around. Two different, very different ages. Well, they had, but they had sure. the truck for a all while. Right. And right. there's a bench on the back. And we we're supposed to sit on the bench and not move. But of course, we didn't. We just kind mm -hmm. of rolled all around the, mm -hmm. the truck. Um, seems, but it got stolen. Oh, the their, truck. Their truck got stolen. And the only thing that was left was just a pile of Sesame Street sing-along tapes. Oh. Which my mom actually salvaged for me. Oh, that's nice. I also once... Stole money from the Catholic Church when I was an altar boy. So you weren't wrong. Well. <laughs> Sorry. And <laughs> Summer Ann, have you yourself ever been either a uh, criminal or victim of thievery? My best friend when I was um, ages 12 to maybe 15 or 16 was a very smart, very beautiful girl who stole from me on a regular basis oh no it became really obvious it started with cds and then it like graduated like there was one time when i i got a cool mickey mouse mini backpack for christmas and brought it to a slumber party and it disappeared overnight and my mom and i were both very sure that she was doing this but kind of made the decision that it wasn't worth our friendship to make a big deal out of it. And we sort of let it go. Because you valued the friendship. I did. That's, I mean, sad, but oddly it's beautiful. It's not that sad. <laughs> I mean, who cares about some CDs, you know? We're really excited about this episode. We have incredible rock star author Cheryl Strayed on the program. She wrote Tiny Beautiful Things, Wild, and has a new book, Brave Enough, which is a collection of inspirational and heartbreaking quotes from Cheryl herself. I absolutely love it. Um, but we're really excited. She's here all the way from the West Coast. Do you know Cheryl's work, Summer? I'm a huge fan, and I'm excited for some inspirational quotes out of her 
today. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to be here. And I understand you guys have a question for me. We like to play with each guest. We like to have a game of Never Have I Ever. For those of you who don't know Never Have I Ever, by the way, get your life together. But if you don't know how to play Never Have I Ever, the way it's played, um, each person playing the game will say something that they have never done, hence the title. So Never Have I Ever Killed Someone, for example. Um, anyone who's playing the game who has will drink or, in our show's case, ring their bell. Like that. Um, and then we'll talk about it. So the listening audience doesn't know we also have shots of whiskey here on the table. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay. That's our secret. That's our secret. <laughs> Cheryl, do you want to kick off this round of well, Never so Have I Ever? At this point, at the age of 47, I am so thrilled to tell you that never have I ever had anal sex. I'm trying to ring my bell halfway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to ring my bell twice. Yeah. You're trying to... <laughs> voraciously oh. ring your bell oh my gosh um i have sort of but it was not a very successful experience and it, no one completed their sexual experience let's just get you know i am sugar okay you're we're not gonna just be general about right. this so what I, does that mean exactly well it's a little bit of a sad story i was in the tail end of a dying relationship and we were not having sex very often and the guy that I was dating, probably my worst relationship ever, came home and, you know, was really drunk and I was really sleepy mm. and there was like some weird foreplay and then he was like just ready to like have mm. anal sex that night. No previous discussion about it. And I I was not I was not super into it. So it was a very brief like experiment with where things would go. And I was like, no, I'm not gonna do this anymore. And we stopped doing that. That is a sad story. It but is really sad. The good side is you're not with that guy anymore. It's true. He's it's off true. butt fucking somebody else. Exactly. <laughs> I hope so. I, I really hope for, I hope for him that he has had plenty of butts to put. <laughs> you're such a good ex you're such a I really am I really am yeah so I myself have had anal sex both ways I have been the giver and uh on the other end of it I would talk with a partner we decided to do it but overall uh fun I enjoyed it I won't lie had a good time seemed like most people enjoyed it too uh, lots of lube. Most obviously. people? That sounds like you're at an orgy. <laughs> right, I apologize. Most of the people watching at home enjoyed it as well. Uh, but the more interesting part is uh, I also had a girlfriend who I let wear a strap on. Right. Um, who pegged me, who fucked me in the ass. And you can read about it uh, because it's the first piece that I ever got paid to write about. Sex sells. If you Googled bend over boyfriend... It went Wikipedia article, Isaac Fitzgerald. A million listeners are now Googling this <laughs> very thing. But it's I still, I, it wasn't, I liked it. There, I liked it. I can say there that. There you go. Yeah. I have nothing against it. It's just not. Have you ever tried? Yes. I, I, my husband, Brian, and I, when we were first lovers, we, you know, were doing all kinds of things. We still do all kinds of things. But we were still in the, let's try this and let's try that. And, and I said, you know, I've never had anal sex and let's should we give it a shot and what ended up happening is 
we made an attempt and then we just it was so funny it was just so funny <laughs> that we kept like we just we couldn't do it without laughing and so because every time it just felt like i was being jabbed in the ass essentially which is what is happening <laughs> and it's it's funny to be jabbed in the ass you know i think and so we we couldn't do it with any seriousness and therefore it was a disaster and then we decided to just drop it there are other things we can do yeah he has jabbed every other part of me. <laughs> Especially uh, your heart. The, oh, wow. You <laughs> put that summer on it. It's so romantic. You, you put that summer on okay. it so quick. Okay. Especially my heart. I'm going to say, if it, just to keep this theme rolling, never have I ever had sex on a plane. So I ring the bell if I did do it. Mm-hmm. Yes. No. <laughs> yeah, me neither. How can that be? I I have traveled so much lately. You'd think I would have. I really thought found I was going to get you with that. I haven't either. Um, on a bus, yes. Okay, please elaborate. No, just you know, public transportation, teenagers. I don't know, blankets. One I, time. <laughs> I think I might have masturbated on a plane with a blanket. And Not in my your hand seats. in my lap. That. I was reading a book that like turned me on or something. I don't remember what it was, but I distinctly remember that. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember what book? Well, I love being, that's one of the things I absolutely love about being a woman and having such a, a discreet mm-hmm. sexual organ. I could do it right now. While we're doing this show, I could sort of just take care of myself. What? And as every woman on the planet can. That's true. It's really pretty amazing. It's special. I'm, I'm getting there now. No. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys, when you have yeah. me come back to the show the next time, we can have it be, have you ever masturbated while recording a podcast? <laughs> while recording this And I'll podcast. have to like ring my, ring my bell or whatever <laughs> in metaphorical and literal terms. So uh, I'm going to feel, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> wow, uh, I'm going to feel really lame now in comparison, but never have I ever believed that I had fallen in love at first sight. Hmm. I, I don't think I have either. No. Isaac. It's my current girlfriend. <gasps> really? How so you did that? fall in love at first sight. But how does that work? It was a New Year's party and I walked into a room. Where people had told us to just ditch our blanket, our, our jackets. Sorry, you're still reeling from my thing with the blanket <laughs> on the. Plane. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> um, and she she was just sitting there petting this cat, and she was done up in this gorgeous dress. And I swear to God, it was just like lights and like everything. I was like, I am so enamored with this woman. Hmm. Not just like, oh, that girl's really hot, mm-hmm. but like was smitten in this like deep in my chest way. Wow, the night I met. My husband, I went home and wrote in my journal, I met Brian Lindstrom tonight. I don't know who he's going to be to me, but he's going to be someone. But I wouldn't describe it as love at first sight. It wasn't necessarily bound up in a sort of sexual attraction or, you know, that sort of thing. Cheryl, as you have been warned, we typically ask guests to come on this podcast and tell us a story that they haven't shared with a lot of people before. Um, And the theme of this episode is stealing. And I think that you have a cool story for us about that. I do. Where does it begin? It begins when I was 15 years old. It was a spring 
evening. I was I was a track runner and I had had track practice and my mom was driving me home. I grew up in northern Minnesota in a little town called McGregor. I actually lived 20 miles from that town in the woods on this remote dirt road. And the town of McGregor is still population 400 people. So it really is incredibly remote country. So we're driving down my dirt road and we look up and on on the horizon we see a man on a horse riding towards us and we can see that he's really dressed as a cowboy like the kind of cowboy that you would see in an old movie you know like chaps and a big hat and a in a in this kind of you know cowboy sort of duster jacket and these big saddle bags that are packed to the gills clearly he's on a journey and my mother slows the car and we roll the windows down, and we, you know, we sort of yell a greeting to him. He's, he, he says hello back. And then we drive on by because, you know, he kept riding by. I think my mom wanted him to stop and, you know, tell us what was up. And, of course, she couldn't then let it go. And so she, that night, made a plate of dinner for him and, and went driving down the road with my stepfather to find his fire. He was this, this man who was 44 years old. His name was Stephen Newman. And he was, his plan was to ride to the Continental Divide. And my mom, as they spoke, she noticed that his horse, Molly, had saddle sores. And she said, come with me back to our house. What's a saddle sore? Jeff? A saddle sore is essentially when the saddle rubs the horse a wrong way, it's it becomes an open wound. It's really painful. It can actually kill a horse. It can become infected. And and my mother just said, you can't go on. And so this cowboy lived with us for a couple of months when I was a teenager. Wow. And he's like sleeping in our hay barn. And every day he would go out and get a ride with my mother or stepfather to buy a six pack of Mountain Dew, which he would then drink the whole six pack all day. And I asked my mom, like, why is, you know, what's up with this guy? And she said her explanation for like everything weird during this time was he did too many drugs in the 60s. <laughs> and so he lived with us and, and he, his horse recovered and my parents sent him away. I graduated high school, went off to college. And in that year after my freshman year of, of college, I got a job for the local county newspaper, the Aiken Independent Age. I got a job being a reporter. And nothing happens in my home county. I can't <laughs> emphasize this enough, okay? Nothing happens. I'm, my job is basically to cover the city council meetings and to think of stories. Like if, if you cr- collected like bottle caps, like <laughs> I would write a story about you. You know, that's, that's <laughs> like what I'm talking about. So the first day, though, that I'm on the job, I'm actually on the job for 15 minutes. And they give me there's on my desk this police scanner. So like everyone who grows up in rural America knows exactly what this thing is. <laughs> yep. Because Isaac everyone has, has them. Knowledge. Everyone has them in their house. And what it is is you hear what the fire and the police and they'll be like, you know, Ray went into the ditch, you know, out on whatever. Right. And then people go help them. So I'm looking at this police scanner at 15 minutes on the job. And I hear this urgent voice come over the scanner. And it says the, the McGregor State Bank has been robbed at gunpoint. A shot has been fired. And the robber has driven off in a car that he's stolen from one of the bank tellers. He's gotten away. Holy smokes. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> 15 <laughs> minutes on the job? 15, like 15 minutes. I showed up at 9 a.m. that morning. The McGregor State Bank was robbed at 9.17. So I guess you could say 20 minutes. Woo! So I got in my car 
And I drove to the bank and I can see inside that it's like the town cop and the sheriff. And suddenly, you know, all of these like state troopers and FBI are starting to show up. And the, the, the town is so small that it's just like there's a field next to the bank and suddenly helicopters start landing. Oh and it's all these broadcast journalists who I recognize from Duluth and the Twin Cities, like these sort of dazzled up sort of stars. And they're all saying to me, you know, asking me, here I am a reporter, they're asking me about this town. I'm like, I I just graduated from here a year ago. I, I was the homecoming queen, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I was, you know, the, the captain of the cheerleading squad of the basketball cheerleaders. You know, I'm like this, I was 18 years old. And I have this big story. And Rick Passer, the sheriff Passer, sees me outside the glass windows of, of this bank. And, and everyone's waiting for the story. And he sees me and he comes out and he says, Cheryl, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I say, well, I'm a reporter now. And he says, come in. So I was the one who got to go into the bank and interview everyone and look at the, the hole that was shot through the light fixture. And what Rick described to me was eerie because he said, this man was lurking in these woods next to the bank and he came walking out and he was wearing a long cowboy duster. And he was wearing a big, wide-brimmed cowboy hat. And he was wearing a bandana over his face. And he had the rifle underneath this duster. And he walked in and he said, this is a stick-up. <laughs> and he pointed the, the rifle at the ceiling and shot it off. And then, you know, he got all the money, he stole the car, he got away. The last place they saw him was driving. I lived 20 miles south of town. And he drove in that maze of roads and disappeared. And by the end of the day, I just had this sick feeling. And I went home and I told my mom about the bank robbery. And she said exactly what I'd been thinking but couldn't admit to myself, which was that we knew who the bank robber was. He was like a family legend, you know, this weird guy who'd stayed with us, this drifter. And I didn't tell anyone why do you think that? Because you're a reporter, right? Right. You're, you're, like, this could be a scoop. Not only, and I'm, I'm supposed to tell the truth. Like, well, that's what reporters do, right? Mm -hmm. Right. But I was always sort of ashamed of who my family was in this community. My family was the sort of family who would let a drifter, like, stay in his barn. Had you been the homecoming queen? That's, that yes. is real? Yeah. So your way of rebelling almost was to become as normal as possible. Absolutely. And so for me to then come forward and say, I actually think that we know who the bank robber is. It, we, we, I felt implicated and I felt ashamed. Mm -hmm. So all summer, I would file stories about like the search for the bank robber. And by the end of the summer, I'm you know about to go back to college, leave this job. I get a phone call and it's from Sheriff Passer. He'd promised me that I would be the first person he told if there was ever a break in the case. And I remember distinctly, like, where I was exactly and the way my hand shook because he said, Cheryl, we have found him and we know it's him because he's, you know, he was basically caught red-handed. This man had been in a neighboring town uh, bragging to a bartender that he had robbed a bank and he tipped her 100 bucks and she tipped the FBI. And they went and found that he had bought a pickup truck, a horse trailer, a saddle and all kinds of cowboy regalia. And then and they found $4,000 in his truck that was all, you know, marked from the bank. Mm. Right. And I said to him, 
okay, what's the guy's name? And Rick Pastor said, Stephen Earl Newman. It was him. What happened to him? He was convicted of the crime, and he was sentenced to uh, 25 years in, in prison. He only served about, uh, about 10 or 11 and he, and then, then I lost his trail, but I got all of the, the documents from the court, from the trial. And what was so fascinating to me was the FBI had essentially gone and filled in his, like, what had this guy been up to the last few years before the robbery? Because they had to establish where, that this gun, this rifle that was used in the crime had been stolen from a farmer that he had worked for. He, he was sort of a drifter and a farmhand. And it was like filling in every gap. And the one gap they didn't fill in was the time he spent at my house. So I've, I've always wanted to find him. I, I, I don't know what I would say to him if I, if I came upon him. I, I would maybe apologize for the one crime I committed against him, which is I snuck into his little space that we'd made for him in the hay barn. And I found this spiral bound notebook that he had that was like his journal. And I read the inside. The, the, the only juicy thing in the, the journal was the ins, inside cover of this notebook was a, was a letter from this woman who apparently loved him and who said that, you know, he could ride on back to her any day. Then I shut the book and ran out of the barn. Reading someone's journals is like, I don't know, you. it's such a deep, intimate knowledge and yet is such a, a really like betrayal of, of a person's trust. I agree with you that it's a terrible thing. I think most of us have done it and had it done to us. Mm-hmm. It actually is, you know, we're talking about stealing here and th- there's nothing like stealing somebody's interior life, which is what you're doing when you read somebody else's journal. Do you think he... When filling in that time that the FBI did, did he ever actually make it to the Continental Divide? He didn't. He only made it, uh, you know, about 40 miles beyond us. But clearly, this is what he wanted. You know, he wanted to be a cowboy and he needed money to do it. I don't know why he couldn't have just gone and worked on some ranch and become a cowboy as somebody's like ranch hand, right? Right. And he did come back. He was really smitten with my mother. And he came back to see her a couple of times and he would never walk up the stairs. He would stand at the base of the stairs and yell, Bobby, Bobby, my mom's name, until she came to the door. He was like a family joke until he became the bank robber. So we're not done with you yet, Cheryl. I'm scared. Okay. (laughs) Uh, We have three questions that we ask every guest. The first question is, what was your last kiss like? That is so sweet. My last kiss was with my husband, Brian, a few days ago. He dropped me off at the airport. I don't just like jump out of the car and go, bye, honey. He, he gets out. He comes around. He kisses me. We hug each other, say goodbye. It was beautiful. And now you're making me cry because, you know, I'm in a studio in New York City and he's in Portland, Oregon. I miss him. Next kiss will be good, too. Yeah. Um, Okay. Another question is, uh, when was the last time you cried? Uh, Last week, like a a friend of mine said something a bit callous, and I'm a little softy, tender heart. And so I cried a little bit before I had to tell him to stop being a jackass to me. Um, The last question, what's wrong with you? Oh, God. How how long do you guys have? (laughs) 
what's wrong with me here? What's wrong with me is this is the thing. This is what's so hard about what's wrong with me. So much of my life, the wonderful, rich life I have that's full of love came because I was always saying yes, because I was always, you know, trying to to make people happy, to be a people pleaser and to say yes to them. And it's sort of starting to devour me. And I'm, ex- I'm tired. And I, and I have to figure out a way to, to, to be that kind of expansive person that I really truly naturally am that I that I value. And also to shut that down a bit sometimes to set boundaries and to learn how to say no and, and be okay with sometimes disappointing people. Well, we appreciate that you said yes to coming on to this podcast. <laughs> I'm so glad I did it. Because if I hadn't come on this podcast, who would know, for example, that I've never had anal sex? <laughs> Brian. Brian. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, and thank you so much for telling that incredible story. We oh, really thank you. We really appreciate having you on yeah, the show. We really do. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Now we're going to go out with some cowboy music or yeah. these shots of whiskey. <laughs> it's, it's appropriate, right? <laughs> clink, clink. Next time on The Tell Show. Expectations versus reality. Okay, this guy and his dog got to. To get you excited, we sent Julia Furlong out into the streets to ask people if their lives turned out the way they thought they would. Excuse me, can I ask you a very quick question? Did your life end up the way that you expected it to? Even better. Definitely not. Sure. How so? Uh, I didn't expect that much. I'm in sales and I love selling. The accomplishment of every sale makes it more fun. I was supposed to go to medical school and then I withdrew from medical school. And now I'm back and I'm a barista again, but I don't know, I'm happier than I've ever been before, so. Well, I got divorced eight years ago, so that, and I have two, uh, I had two children and I sort of always thought that I would be married and um, my life is beautiful in ways I never expected. I'm happy with my life. Yeah, I'm happy... But every day I'm trying to do, you know, something better. Did your life turn out the way that you expected it to? Probably not. (laughs) Don't know. I wasn't finished yet. The Tell Show is produced by the incredible Meg Kramer. With editorial oversight from Jenna Weiss-Berman. And production support from Julia Furlan and Eleanor Kagan. And thanks so much to Paul Ruest at Argo Studios for recording us. Our music was composed by Love, Inks. And please don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes. If you feel inclined to overshare, you can email us at thetellshow at buzzfeed.com. <laughs>